The very idea of running a startup has taken on so much glamour and hype. But what's it really like? Is it more about grit, resilience, even luck? What about those make or break moments where things can either come together or go totally off the rails? That's where things get interesting, and those are the stories we'll explore. From the founder's perspective, unfiltered and honest. I'm Jenny Fielding, and I'm the Managing Director of Techstars New York City. I'm also an investor, founder, and an adjunct professor of entrepreneurship. And this is Founder Rising. Super excited to have Tiffany Dufu, the founder of The Crew, with us today. And very special because I actually met Tiffany doing a podcast. So this is like very meta. Like yes. we were on a podcast and now we're here podcasting again. So couldn't be more thrilled to, to have you and love a little bit of introduction on The Crew, what it's about and, you know, what made you start this company? Absolutely. Well, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. And yes, we met on another podcast. The first thing I should share is that my life's work is advancing women and girls. That's pretty much why I'm on the planet. And there's a long story behind that, but it eventually led up to this whole thing called The Crew. Our algorithm matches circles of women who collaborate to meet their life goals together, both online and in person. So if you're someone who has some things that you've wanted to accomplish in your life, either personally or professionally, and just want some kind of accountability and inspiration, but don't have the time to go to a bunch of cocktail parties and conferences and events and awkwardly introduce yourself to strangers, we're like the place for you. It's a great way to describe it. Yes, yes. And we launched in May of 2018, and it's been a really exciting process of learning and growing for me. When you say that it's your life's work, talk about some of the activities that kind of led up to this. Big fan of the book that you wrote. So love to hear of those confluence of ideas that have come together. Absolutely. You know, every professional job that I've had has somehow been focused on how do we harness women and girls' ingenuity and talent for the benefit of all of us. The experience that most has informed the crew is that in addition to being a public speaker and being an author, I have a lot of women reach out to me, particularly women who have read my book, Drop the Ball, Achieving More by Doing Less. And a number of years ago, I decided to say yes to pretty much every woman that reached out to me. I started meeting them every Tuesday and Thursday mornings. I would meet with six or seven women a week, and it drastically informed my work. I didn't know at the time that I was doing market research for the crew. (laughs) I just thought that I was being accessible to women who needed support. And one of the observations that I made in listening to so many women's stories is that even though we have a lot of people around us, family, friends, coworkers, We largely perceive our personal and professional journeys as if it's a solo endeavor, not a team sport. In other words, if we have a problem, the first question we ask ourselves is, how am I going to solve this problem? When I actually think the more important question is, who is going to help me solve this problem? So I had been evangelizing this idea of the crew to every woman that I spoke to. I would tell her about my crew, my group of really incredible women who support me and hold me accountable to my ambitions. But it wasn't until I had a woman really push back on my idea of the crew that I had the aha moment for this actually being a company. I was sitting at one of these new burgeoning collaborative co-working spaces for women that are like all pink. (laughs) And she had to go to her job at Morgan Stanley after her meeting with me. And 
when I told her about this idea of how she needed to find her crew, she basically said, Tiffany, I understand theoretically this idea. I think it's great that you have one. And I think it's great that you obviously have time to sit and connect with so many women, which is probably how you're able to find one. But I had to take time off of my job to meet you at 10 a.m. on a Tuesday. I don't have the bandwidth to go to all of these events and meet with all of these people. I have a full-time job. I have three kids. I have a mom with a diagnosis and a dog and a commute. I don't have time to do what you're asking me to do. It feels more overwhelming Hmm. than it does a solution. And right in that moment, I had what I call a Tiffany's epiphany. You know, some people call them aha moments where I realized, oh my goodness, if my life's work really is advancing women, then I should stop preaching to them about how they need to find their crew. And I should just find the crew for them. I can do that. I don't know exactly how I'll do it right now, but that's a need. And that's really important to me that whatever I create, that it's actually solving a problem that's going to help women create lives that they're passionate about. And it has to be solving such a big problem that they're willing to pay me (laughs) and kind of line up around the block to do so. And that's really how the crew was born. I mean, it's amazing to have a pivot before you've even really started, right? So incredible work doing the the customer discovery you needed to, to really define the product. And as you think about kind of the early iterations of the product, what were some of the other kind of learnings or adjustments that you made as you were speaking to more women and kind of formulating it? Yes, a number of them. The first was really around what the crew was, like what, what it had to be. And fortunately, I naively offered a 20-minute live virtual interview for every woman who applied to the crew in the first round, not understanding that we would get so many applicants that that would require spending an entire summer <laughs> with volunteers, like live interviewing wow. all of these women. But One of the first questions that we asked was, well, what do you hope for in applying for the crew? Like, what do you hope a crew will do for you? And the answers to those questions helped inform the product. The most common answer to that question was intentionality. You know, I'm kind of living my life. I'm going through the motions. I really feel like I need something that's intentional. The third most popular answer was commitment. Not that I need any more commitments, just to be very clear, I'm very busy, but I really don't want to go to something where I'm just going to meet people and then we're going to kind of put our business cards in our bags and then we're going to go on our way. I actually want to be a part of something where the people are committed, where all of us are committed to something that's meaningful and something that's going to help us move, you know, our lives forward. And the other word was accountability, even though I'm not sure we really appreciate what we mean when we say we want to be held accountable. But I feel like I'm at a point in my life where a lot of people are holding, I'm holding them accountable, whether it's my boss, my team, my kids. I want to be held accountable for my own ambition in a way that inspires me. And that's hard to do when I'm distracted, like taking care of everyone else. And so that became the center of the experience that we were trying to make. And with every iteration, it was how can we do something that fosters the intentionality, that fosters the accountability, and that fosters the commitment that these women say that they want, which is not how I would have started it. I would have started probably with the relationship between the women because I love my crew and they're really amazing. And I would have tried to duplicate that, you know, but the reality is that I'm not the use case 
for the crew. Unlike a lot of founders, I have a crew. I was trying to solve a problem for a group of women who don't. And so just understanding always that if I have a question, if I'm trying to figure out how to make it better, that they should be the source of that has been a really important lesson for me. And there are really practical parts of the product that I didn't get in the beginning. So for example, our CTO said in the beginning that we should build messaging into the platform. The way that the crew works is that you upload your intentions, your goals into this portal along with actions against them. And your crew serves as your accountability partner, except it's 10 people doing it together. I thought that was the silliest idea on the planet. You know, I said, these women are really busy. Remember, they said they're busy. And there's already all of these other messaging platforms that we're on. And the last thing that these women need is more noise. Well, as soon as we introduced the crews to one another, the first thing they all did was hop on messaging platforms. <laughs> because as soon as you say to a group of people, you're committed, you're going to hold one another accountable in an intentional way that inspires all of you, well, wouldn't you want to communicate with those people? <laughs> wouldn't you want to talk to those people? So then we had to build messaging, you know, on top of the platform later and then have to go through figuring out how to get everybody off of these other platforms that they were already on. So there's been all kinds of learnings along the way. So that's a, a really interesting point, getting feedback from your CTO. And I know like we met around some challenge that you were having. And I remember a few months later, you closed the loop and you said, you know, Jenny, actually, that was a great idea. And we tried it. As such a strong leader behind this product and visionary, how do you kind of take your hands off a little bit and empower your team and also bring in these new ideas and, and kind of stay open to it? It's worse than that. It's not, it's not, thank you. That was so, that was such a lovely way of putting it. I mean, basically I'm a control freak. I wrote a book called Drop the Ball because I'm someone who has a very difficult time dropping balls. Not just because I feel like it's a reflection of me, but it's a reflection of the people that raised me, my community. I mean, if I drop the ball, it just means women have failed, Black people have failed. I mean, I take it, it's very dramatic. The world's on your shoulders. Yeah, the the world's on my shoulders. Fortunately, what I have to do is have a level of self-awareness, and I think this is for all of us, to know who you need to surround yourself in order to be held accountable. So the perfect example is one of our investors felt very strongly that we needed a COO. I was a bit offended by that in the beginning, because I'm like, what are you talking about? I've run lots of things. Are you trying to say I can't run this company? But what she recognized was that as someone who has an external presence, as someone who's doing things like podcasts and who's speaking, that that was great for helping to market the crew. That in fact, part of the reason why we had such early traction was because of my platform and because of my presence, that actually day-to-day getting a venture-backed company off the ground is a lot of work that requires just really putting your hands in there. And she was concerned about my mind share and my timeshare if I was going to continue to to try to do both, which she assumed I would because she recognized that I was a control freak and would want to continue to do everything. (laughs) And during the process of hiring that COO, we were really torn. We had like the Stanford MBA minted COO who had just come from another fancy startup. And then there was the woman who during the interview took out a pair of reading glasses. And I decided, you know what, at the end of the day, this is the person who's going to hold me accountable. This is the person who is going to say, Tiffany, you really can't do that anymore. And I'm going to need someone who I respect. And we hired Cindy Sperling, who's been an amazing COO. She actually spent time with one of our investors at SoftBank. So she started her career in venture capital. And already I can count 
on my hands the number of times that Cindy has had to say something to me that, you know, honestly, if she was a 35-year-old minted NBA, I would have been like, I know this little girl is not trying to tell me what to do. (laughs) So I, I think that's it, is knowing where your strengths are, but knowing where your weaknesses are and where you need to bring somebody in who's going to hold you accountable in ways that are really important. And I'll tell you the first time she really had to do it, I hope this is a typical founder thing, but I thought it was very important to respond to every single like customer email that came in. And I, of course, was responding to them. And I thought this was very important as a founder to understand your consumer is to respond to them personally. And one day, Cindy came into the office and she said, Tiffany, I don't think you should do this anymore. I think that you have other things to do and somebody else should be responding to every request that comes into info or contact at thecrew.com. And I said, no, it doesn't take that much of my time. And she said, Tiffany, what is the password to the email? And I was like, oh, I was like, I can't really remember the password. You know, it just automatically comes up because it's like saved in Google Chrome. And she said, Tiffany, I know that your husband, Kojo, was like your original IT person. If you don't give me the password, I'm just going to go to him and get the password and take over (laughs) the email. So you should just give it to me. So brute force works with you. Good to know. (laughs) Brute, Brute force. Yes. That's a great story. You have written and spoke about, you know, very eloquently your experience fundraising, which was not super easy. A lot of fits and starts and learnings there, ultimately culminating in an oversubscribed round, which is like super exciting. So love to share a little bit of the beginnings of that and kind of what you learned along the way. Yes, of course. So I started the fundraising journey, fortunately, not knowing that much about it. (laughs) So not enough to be intimidated by it, uh, just dangerous enough to know, oh, you know, I think I can make this happen. But I did spend some time studying the process since I didn't feel like I knew what I was doing. And there were some really great resources that helped me. One was the Pitch Podcast, which I listened to many times. A book called Burn the Business Plan was really helpful. Venture Deals kind of gave me my, I feel like, crash course in what this thing really was. There's a company called Slidebean. It's it's just a presentation software company, but they have a whole YouTube series on startup fundraising and being a founder. I think maybe as a marketing tool, because maybe a lot of their consumers are startup founders. And, you know, at 2 a.m. when your eyes are droopy and you can't read a book, like I would just go onto YouTube and binge watch their videos. So just like a lot of resources to help me get this off the ground. But at the end of the day, the most important part of my journey was the crew. It was recognizing that I couldn't do this by myself. I recruited a couple of really amazing sponsors for me. One is a man I have to give a shout out to named Evan Cohen, who's a former COO at Foursquare and then went to Lyft. And I'm a huge he, fan of Evan. You? He's a mentor in our program. He's so awesome. <laughs> He's he, he did two things that are really important as a first-time founder. The first was that he made introductions, which is really important if you're someone who doesn't have access to these networks. And certainly as a woman, as a Black person, I'm atypical in that I'm in my mid-40s. It's a whole new world for me. I just didn't have the network to know who to go to. But I think the other thing that was really important was that he demystified the process. After a meeting, he would say, so what do they ask you? And I would tell him, and he would say, so what did you say? And I would tell him, and he would be like, okay, like don't follow up with them. And I'm like, why? They seemed so excited. And he was like, no, actually, they're raising money from LPs. What are LPs? You know, they actually are not in a position to invest right now, but 
they're not going to be rude to you, Tiffany. <laughs> um, and so I think he made the process a lot more efficient. He also was just kind of a cheerleader, reminded me that I wasn't going crazy and that I wasn't alone. And there were several people during the process that really supported me along the way. And that made a huge difference, a huge difference. You wrote a blog post that was so comprehensive. It seemed like you were a multi-time founder that had taken your your company public. Like that blog post was so in-depth and so, you know, accurate. It was pretty incredible. So I encourage everyone to, to check it out. It was really great. Thanks. I love that. And so going back to kind of the fundraising, you got a bunch of no's at the beginning. Mm -hmm. How did you kind of keep the spirit of going back out there after, you know, it can be really hard? I really appreciate that question because the psychology of the fundraising process is something that we don't really delve into, and it's really hard. And I'm someone who has experience with rejection. My first job out of college was as a telemarketer. I had been a fundraiser before in the nonprofit sector, so it wasn't as if I hadn't had experience with being told no. But there's something about the fact that you get far enough into it where it becomes really clear that at an early stage, they're largely investing in you and whether or not they believe that you can pull it off. And once that really hits you, a pass feels so personal because it feels like they are literally saying, we don't believe in you. We don't believe you can do this. There might be something interesting here, but we don't believe you can do it. And it's so grueling and it's so hard. I wish in hindsight, and certainly for the next round that I ever raise, I will be more intentional about building scaffolding to support me with the rejection as I did to support me in meeting people and demystifying the process for me. I really think it's important that I find things that bring me joy and that I'm intentional about like doing that every day. It probably won't be a good idea to eat an ice cream cone after every, you know, pass. But, you know, <laughs> something that psychologically helps to remind me that it's okay. And I'll tell you, the only reason I got through it is because I do have a community. I do have a lot of support and love. And there was one day where I had five meetings and I was 90% confident that I wasn't even get a second meeting with any of them. And it was about 9.30 at night and my son texted me, he's 13, and he's like, mom, are you going to be home soon? I'm almost done with my homework. And I wrote back, yeah, I'm just going to come. Like, it was a terrible day. And he's like, oh, sorry, like emoji, sad face, you know, what happened? And I said, you know, I met with five investors today and I don't think any of them are going to invest in the crew. Well, by the time I got home and opened the door, my son was blasting this song by J-Rock, this rapper, and the song is called Win. And he was just like screaming like at the top of his lungs, win, 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 win. And then there's this line in the song where J-Rock says, you're either with me or against me, yo. And my son was like, mom, you just tell those investors you're either with me or against me, yo. And by the end of the night, we're like jumping up and down on the furniture, like dancing to J-Rock. And I feel like, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. If you don't have a 13-year-old who's like blasting J-Rock for you, <laughs> you know, just like find someone in your life. And if the ice cream cones work, like the crew is a judgment-free zone. So do what you need to do. That's a great crew to have. Yeah. <laughs> as someone who's building an intentional community, but you're not really building it for yourself. As you said, like you're someone that had this great network, has an incredible support system family. So how do you kind of map the product that you're building for someone else with your own personal goals and needs, would you say? It's such a great question because sometimes you want to shortcut by imagining what you would do, what you would need, 
what you would want. And it is a practice for me, just like some people practice yoga or some people meditate. It is a practice for me to kind of stop and step back and take myself out of the center of a crew member's experience. And to say, Tiffany, I know you may not want that or you may want that or you may feel like that's valuable, but you have to focus on what your members need or want. We recently hired a product manager Oh, hail to all product managers. (laughs) But one of the things that I'm so excited about is the first thing, of course, she wants to do is conduct user interviews, which is what, you know, she's in the midst of doing now. And a couple of assumptions that I had made about our members already have been debunked and are going to inform the product. The biggest one being that they perceive themselves to be so busy and to not have any free time. So a lot of what I've built is around not bothering them, not bugging them, making everything easy for them. Well, it turns out that for women who want meaning in their life and who prioritize intention, they actually do perceive that they have time for things that matter. They don't have time for meaningless stuff. They don't have time for that. But for anything that's going to help them to create lives they're passionate about, they actually feel like they have time or that they want to carve out time for that. That's a fascinating insight. It's a really great insight. So I think, again, you know, you get other people around you who can help engage your community in a way that helps you learn more about them and never take anything for granted. What were some times maybe at the early stages of the business that you kind of questioned whether this was going to work or not, whether that was about the team or the product or your ability to raise capital? What was that moment where you kind of looked at yourself in the mirror? You're like, wow, this this could really not work. Mm -hmm. A few times, uh, many, many times, many days. uh, This morning, Jenny. (laughs) That delayed flight from uh, Boston get you down? (laughs) Yeah. The first one was actually before the crew was officially launched. I had the idea of the crew, I had this concept for the crew, but I didn't have the money actually for a team. And because I have a crew, I had one of my crew members who was really pushing me. She was like, Tiffany, you told us about this concept, this idea of the crew, why haven't you launched? And I said, well, I need to figure out how to like get the resources to hire people to like help me get this off the ground. And she was like, are you effing kidding me? Like you have a crew, what are you waiting for? Like what do you, what needs to be done? Tell me what needs to happen. And that Saturday, it was a Friday, that Saturday I went into the office, I kind of made a list of all of the things that needed to happen if I wanted to get the crew off of the ground. And then I did something that was kind of radical, which is to think about all the people in my life and who might be able to do one piece of it and who would be the best at it, regardless of what they were actually doing. So don't consider that this person has a full-time job and would like never have time to help you. Just think, who is the best person when it comes to design? Who is the best person when it comes to kind of psychology and figuring out what questions you need to ask? Who's the best person? Who's going to figure out how you're going to construct this application? And just reach out to them and just say, hey, I have a spreadsheet. Here's what I would need you to do. Could you do this small piece by this date? Because if you can, I think I can get this company off the ground. And of course, everybody said yes. Everyone said yes. It's amazing. Um, And so we kind of launched with a bunch of volunteers before we got enough kind of traction that we could accept those membership dollars, which allowed us to kind of really bring people on. So there was just one, but I have them all the time, especially around my leadership, because I've run a lot of other things before. What's that movie with Brad Pitt where he was growing old backwards? It was the the Benjamin Button movie. (laughs) That's how I feel like my, my leadership is at a startup. 
it's like the first time where there is no culture. You have to build the culture. You have to build the process. You have to build the systems. And that's a different kind of leadership muscle. That's a different kind of energy. There's a different kind of thoughtfulness. And yet, it's terrifying because you have to make so many decisions with far less information than I've ever had before. And yet, those decisions have such huge stakes than they ever have before. And so I try to just take it a day at a time and not get overwhelmed. And I think, you know what, if today you can just put one foot in front of the other and you can just nail that or fail at that, but still get up the next morning, it'll be okay. It'll be okay. Wow. When I first met you and and you pitched on the pitch, (laughs) one of the stories that you told was how you, I think, put up a website or did, you know, did something very lightweight and all of these women signed up. And I think it was a moment where all the people on the show kind of looked at each other and were like, oh my gosh, that's kind of incredible. And I think we weren't expecting it for whatever reasons, you know, that we can go on to. Do you feel like when you were starting this company and kind of getting it off the ground that people were underestimating your ability to pull this off? Yeah, but you know, I'm a black woman in America. That's life. <laughs> that's, that's really, that's par for the course. Really, it was the overwhelm of, can I meet the needs of these women? And that's actually what drives me. It's what compelled me to raise money, was I didn't know technically how to turn off the apply button. And so women just kept applying. Such a great story. And I just kept (laughs) feeling like this responsibility. If all I did was just put out a little three-minute video with me sitting on my couch, just saying, hi, I'm Tiffany Dufu. I've done a lot of great stuff. I'm smart and I work really hard, but the secret to my success is my crew. This is what they've done for me. If you don't have people like this in your life, just click here and apply and I'll help you find them. That was all the video basically said. And if that many women were saying, I need that, I want that, then I felt that I had a responsibility to them despite who underestimated or who didn't believe in me. But ironically, it's a great position to be in because you surprise people, you end up delighting people, and you also very clearly recognize who sees you and who doesn't. One of the VCs in my round is Karen Klein at Bloomberg Beta. And I chased after Karen because she was the toughest investor on me. I knew that she's she saw tough me. with all of us. She, we love Karen. <laughs> yeah. yeah, she was really tough. And I have a track record of having worked for women in the past who were really tough on me. And one of the lessons that I've had to learn to appreciate is that people who are tough on you are that way because they see you. They recognize your potential. Sometimes they see further ahead than you can see of yourself, and that's why they push you so hard. And I was convinced, regardless of what happened, I would be a better leader, I would be a better founder, I would be a better entrepreneur if Karen Klein was in this round. And so she was the one that I didn't want to give up on. But yeah, I'm used to that. Final question. Running a startup is a struggle every day, whether it's really late nights, flying back from Boston, you feel exhausted and here you are showing up, you know, at the podcast. There's just so much to do and never enough time. And what keeps you motivated and coming back all the time? It's been a long journey, not just the two years of running the crew, but the confluence of all the the projects and companies that you have run previously. One of the observations that I made during the fundraising process was that a lot of investors would say, you've got really great founder market fit. And I didn't honestly understand what they were talking about in the beginning. 
But over time, I really came to appreciate why an investor would be looking for that. It's this idea that getting like a company off the ground is really hard. And it's kind of good to invest in people who would have gotten up anyway every day to do the work, whether it was a company or not, because there's something else deeper that's driving them. And for me, it's the members, it's the women who I think can change the world if they weren't bogged down with barriers that were inhibiting them from being successful. And I feel a responsibility to get to them. I feel really lucky. I had a mom every day when I was growing up who told me, Tiffany, you're so smart and you're so beautiful and you're so loved. And I'm particularly grateful for it because she didn't have a mom in her life who did that for her. And so she's really struggled and Every day, I'm just kind of getting up in honor of my mom and getting to as many women as I can and just whispering in their ear, you're so smart, you're so beautiful, you're so loved, you can do this. And that's what gets me up every day. Smart, beautiful, and loved. I think on that note, thank you so much, Tiffany. This was amazing. Thanks for listening to the show today. We'd love to hear your feedback, ideas, and what kind of stories you'd like to hear next. You can find me on Twitter at J.E. Fielding.